Hello, hello, and thank you so much for joining me. This is the lovely podcast, God's Holy Word. I am your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to kind of take a moment to go over um, some books that are really good to read. And so what I'm going to do over a couple different podcasts, I'll probably do um, a couple books here and there in between reading God's Holy Word and kind of um, going into more detail about that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first chapter of some of my favorite books every now and then in these podcasts. And then if you like the book, you can go online. I usually go on Amazon.com and I have Prime, Amazon Prime. And I just buy my books on there, especially if they're used, because typically used books are cheaper than new books. And with Amazon Prime, you can usually get the book pretty quick anyway. So the first book that I'm going to read from The first chapter is called Increase God's Way, and this is written by Pastor Jerry Savelle. And so it says, Chapter 1, You've Been Lied To. I was fed up. I had had enough. My wife, Carolyn, was always trying to get me to go to church, dragging me to hear boring preachers. I hated it. And here we go again. She's begging me to go with her. I told her I didn't care how much she begged. I was not going. But this time, she told me that if I would go with her, And if I didn't like this preacher, then she would never ask me to go again. Never? You promise you will never ask me to go again, I asked. I'll never ask you to go again, said Carolyn. That sounded like a good deal to me. If I went this one time, it meant that she would quit trying to get me to go. I made up my mind that I would go this one last time, sit on the back row, not believe a word that was said, And then she would never ask me to go again. It sounded like a good idea, and that was my plan. However, that's not quite how it worked out. I had been set up. God and Carolyn set me up. I was not planning on that. This preacher was different. He wasn't like any other preacher I had ever heard before. He reminded me of John Wayne. Before I knew it, I was actually listening to what he was saying. He got my attention. He spoke with authority like I had never heard. I will never forget the last words he said that night. He said, if you believe it, it will work. If you don't, it won't. Good night. Then he walked off. That was it. He just walked off. That night, I went for one purpose, to never be asked to go again. Instead, my life was changed. I heard the gospel like I had never heard it before. It penetrated my hardness of heart. It penetrated all the unbelief of my mind. All of the excuses I had for running from God were all shattered that night. That night changed my life, and it has never been the same since. The man was Kenneth Copeland. The next morning, a lady from the church came by our house and said, Jerry, I recorded all of the messages from Kenneth Copeland, and the Lord told me to give them to you. And then she handed me a bag full of reel-to-reel tapes. I said, what am I supposed to do with these? I don't have any way to listen to them. You don't, she asked. No, I'll be back. She ran off. A few hours later, she returned with the machine to play the tapes. I set that big old machine, if you remember reel-to-reel tapes, you know what I'm talking about, up in our spare bedroom and began to listen to them. All 14 messages. I couldn't get enough. I was consumed with the word that was preached. Once again, it was unlike any sermons I had ever heard. He kicked over every sacred cow Every religious tradition I had ever heard. I couldn't believe it. I had never seen or heard anything like it, and surely not in the churches that I had attended. 
I've listened to those tapes over and over again. I got my Bible, my notebook, and my pen, and I began to study the word for myself. I studied it until his revelations became my revelations. For the first time in my life, I was studying the Bible. And do you know what I found out? I had been lied to. That's right, I was lied to. Good, well-meaning, sincere Christians had lied to me. They were very sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. They told me that God made people sick to teach them lessons. They told me things like that's right, you'd better fear God, boy, or he'll get you. They said God loved poverty. They said God and poverty were linked together with a very short rope. But once I started reading and studying the word for myself, I couldn't find any of that in the Bible. Instead, I found out that Jesus' stripes provided for my healing. I didn't have to be sick. Jesus had already paid the price for my health. I found out that I had been redeemed from the curse and that God considered poverty a curse. I found out that I had a covenant with the creator of the heavens and earth, and that covenant said that health, increase and success belonged to me. Now you have to understand, I was in business for myself. I owned Jerry's Paint and Body Shop, and I was broke. I was in debt. My marriage less than perfect, and I got sick like everyone else. As a matter of fact, we had a medicine cabinet in our bathroom full of medicine because that's the only way that we knew. I thought that was just how it was supposed to be. I didn't know any better. I had never read the Bible before. I read Hot Rod magazines. I read car magazines, not the Bible. But when I did start reading it, my life and my perspective about life totally changed. Once again, I found out that God wanted to bless me. Little old me, average Jerry. That's right. He wanted me healthy, blessed, and prosperous. And I want to tell you right now, you've most likely been lied to, just like I was. God wants to bless you. Yes, you. God's intent. God's original intent for mankind was that they should live a blessed life. And God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth." and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them and god blessed them and god said unto them be fruitful and multiply genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28 what was the first thing god did after he created them he blessed them genesis is the book of beginnings and what i want you to see is that from the very beginning God intended man to live a blessed lifestyle. Blessed literally means empowered to prosper, to be empowered to prosper as a result of having God's favor bestowed on your life. So immediately after creating man, God empowered them to prosper. He caused this favor to be upon them. And then he told them to be fruitful and multiply. Most of the time, when we read that, we think only about replenishing the earth through offspring. But to be fruitful also means to be successful in every endeavor. So God blessed them and told them to be fruitful in every endeavor. Now we know the story of how Adam blew it. Adam committed high treason in, in the Garden of Eden. But even though Adam blew it, God's plan for mankind did not change. What happened? God literally started over with Noah and his family. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, "Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth." Genesis 9:1 Notice that even though Adam messed up, God's plan remained the same. The same thing that God told Adam and Eve in the garden is what he told Noah. 
His plan for mankind had not changed. He still wanted them blessed. He still wanted them to prosper and to be fruitful. And God spoke unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. Genesis 9, 8, and 9. Notice that God not only establishes his covenant with Noah and his sons, but he wanted this to perpetuate from generation to generation. God believes that if you can get a spiritual principle to work in at least three generations, then more than likely it will continue through mankind. If you can get a man, his son, and his grandson all living the same principle, then it's likely that it will continue throughout the family. And I can tell you that it works. I got it. I taught it to my children. They got it. And now they are teaching it to their children. And praise God, as long as there are savels on this planet, we are going to increase. We're going to prosper. We're going to be highly favored. And we're going to be blessed of God. And that's the way God wants it to be in your life and in your family's life as well. One more example. In Genesis 12, God appears to a man by the name of Abram. And he says in Genesis 12:2, "And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing." Once again, God is perpetuating his original plan for mankind. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What is God doing? He is endeavoring to promote increase in the earth for his people. What was Abraham's testimony? God said he was going to bless him and make his name great. And that's exactly what happened. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Genesis 24:1. So here's Abraham. When he was well stricken in age, his testimony was that God had empowered him to prosper. God had highly favored him. God had brought increase into every area of his life. God's intent for you. Well, that's great, Jerry, but what does this have to do with me today? It has everything to do with you. According to Galatians 3:29, and if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What is God saying? He is saying that it didn't end with Abraham. It didn't end with David. It didn't end with Solomon. Jesus came and broke the curse over mankind. He redeemed us from the curse and put us in a position so that you and I can walk in the same blessing, the same increase and the same favor. In fact, we should have it better than they had because our covenant is a better covenant founded upon better promises. Increase in your life is your right. God is interested in you increasing in every area of your life. Now obviously everyone would agree that God wants us to increase spiritually. The Bible says that when we get born again, we begin on the milk of God's word so that we may grow thereby. And if you have been serving God a number of years and you haven't grown spiritually, then something is wrong. It's a violation of spiritual law. God expects you to grow spiritually. He also expects you to grow where your soul is concerned. Your soul is made up of your of your mind, your will, and your emotions. The Bible talks about the prosperity of your soul in 3 John chapter 2. Prosperity of the soul would be your mind being renewed to the word of God, your will being conformed to his will, and your emotions being under the control of God's word. That is soulish prosperity, or you could say increasing in the area of your soul. And of course, You should be increasing where your physical body is concerned also. 
And I'm not talking about gaining weight. I'm talking about walking in a greater level of divine health. The Bible says he sent his word and healed them. Psalm 107 verse 20. If you're spending quality time in the word, then it should have an effect on your physical well-being. Now, I am not saying that you will not ever have symptoms of sickness trying to come on you. I get symptoms from time to time, but I have learned how to take the word of God and apply it to those symptoms, and then one of two things must happen. The word of God must bow to the symptoms or the symptoms must bow to the word of God. And in my case, the symptoms bow every time. So enjoying better health is increasing physically, and that is part of God's plan. So we know that we should increase spiritually, mentally, or soulishly and physically. And God also expects as you serve him and as you put his word first in your life that there should be signs of financial increase. For you to never experience financial increase in your walk with God is a violation of spiritual laws. There is absolutely there is absolutely no way you can walk with God, keep his covenant and not experience financial increase. It has to come. No, I didn't say it would come overnight. I didn't say it will come in a matter of days. What I did say is that it will come. Now, once I realized my covenant rights as a child of God, I got mad. I went to my wife and said, "Carolyn, we are living beneath our privileges as covenant people. We have a covenant with God. We have a contract with the Almighty, the creator of the universe." We got mad at the devil and we started acting on our covenant rights and things started to change in our lives. The creator of the universe has made a contract, a legal document with us. And in that contract, it says that we are redeemed from the curse of poverty. That means we don't have to spend the rest of our lives living from paycheck to paycheck. We don't have to live the rest of our lives barely getting by, just existing and just settling for whatever crumbs the devil will give us. I quickly decided that I wanted God's blessing on my life, and I wasn't going to give up until I had it. A man asked me one time when he found out that I was going into ministry, he said, "Are you going to take a vow of poverty?" I said, "No." He said, "You're not." I said, "No. Why would I want to do that?" Well, don't you think preachers ought to be poor? No. I think they ought to be blessed. If God wanted us to live in poverty, then why wouldn't he set the example? Have you ever thought about that? If he loves poverty so much and wants his followers to live in poverty, then why doesn't he set the example? It seems to me like the least he could do is set the example. But he doesn't live in poverty. My Bible talks about streets of gold. Have you ever read the description of the throne room? Trust me, God's not doing badly at all. Think about what Jesus said. He said, "In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you." John chapter 14 verse 2. If God wanted us to live in poverty, then Jesus would have said, "In my Father's house are many shacks, and I will go repair one for thee." My point is this: God doesn't love poverty. He considers it a curse, and you have been redeemed from that curse. God wants you to prosper in every area of your life and have good success. Declare war on your financial condition. You have a right to increase. You have a right to have all of your needs met and plenty left over. It is your covenant right as a child of God to experience increase. And if you're not, then you need to declare a state of war on the devil today. You are being robbed. Now don't think this war is going to be easy. It's not. The devil is not just going to roll over and play dead. Trust me. 
The fight will be on. But you are the one that has weapons that are not carnal, but mighty through God. You are the one that has God backing you. You are the one that God has promised that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You can win this war, but you must be determined and persistent. You must not quit. Quitting cannot be an option. My mandate since 1969 has been to talk people into winning, to teach them that God is a covenant-keeping God and that their covenant with him is a covenant of increase. God wants you to increase. He wants you to have all your needs met and then have plenty left over. But he wants you to do it his way. And that's why I am writing this book to help you experience increase God's way. God's way? What are you talking about, you may ask? God has a way for you to experience increase in your life. He has laid it out in the word. And I'm going to show you in this book how to experience increase his way and with his blessing. So get ready for increase to come into every area of your life. Okay, so that is the end of chapter 1. If you like that book, which it is a good one. It really opened my eyes to so many things. It is a great book. So again, it's called Increase God's Way. It's written by Jerry Savelle, and his name is spelled S A V E L L E. And one thing I want to mention here is that one of the denominations that I converted to it preached that poverty um was a good thing and i never really agreed with that but then once i started to accept it oh man i became poor like you wouldn't believe so many horrible things happen when when you accept less than god's best and there are some people that they take vows of poverty and then when they're taking vows of poverty which i never did i couldn't stand that cuz to me that's a lie straight out of the depths of hell which we can see that it is a lie God doesn't want us to take vows of poverty, not by any means, but um I noticed that when people take a vow of poverty, poverty, it's like they're always asking other people for money because they're so poor. And then people think, well, I should give my money to this person that took a vow of poverty because they're being quote unquote humble. No, they're being stupid and ignorant. Don't ever take a vow of poverty. A vow of poverty is so stupid. And what I don't understand is that when someone takes a vow of poverty, whether it's a personal vow or maybe it's a priest or a deacon or an elder or a bishop or who knows what or, or monks or nuns or whatever, what I find interesting is that you know they don't like being broke either. Like I've met some Catholic priests that love money, even though they're supposed to take a quote-unquote vow of poverty. You know, they they totally schmooze older women. especially old women, rich, bitter old buddies. And then they've got certain women that they know will give them a bunch of money. Now, this doesn't work on old men, but it works on old women. And I I just thought it was disgusting. It was grotesque to me because I thought, you know, if you really want your own money, then why aren't you working somewhere where you can make good money? And then you won't have to ask people for money. Because being a beggar should not be a full-time job. It should never be anybody's job. Like basically these people that have taken a vow of poverty it's like they're professional beggars. And nowhere in the Bible are we called to do that. No one is called to do that. Like if you're walking in the favor of God and you believe in God's holy word, then you should never accept poverty as a way of life. That doesn't mean financial hardships won't happen, but here's the thing because you're standing on God's holy word and you're walking in the favor of God, then you will quickly get out of that situation because God protects you, he loves you and he will help you increase in every way. 
Because we know from God's holy word, whatever the devil steals from us, God will, will give it back to us at least seven times over, like a sevenfold or a hundredfold. But here's the thing. If you just accept it that you're going to be poor and this is how things are, and if you just accept poverty and lack, guess what? That's all you're going to have is poverty and lack. And let's just say it. It sucks being poor. It sucks not having a good car. It's horrible not making enough money to not meet your needs, right? So it's important that we focus on the goodness of God and we read God's holy word and we understand that money does come from God. You know, evil money's not evil. Love of money's evil. As long as you don't put put your love in money, you're fine. As long as you are putting your love in Christ, you're honoring God. then God will trust you with a whole lot of money. He will trust you to use the money that you're given wisely. It's a lot like those three stewards that were in a, a parable in the Bible. I guess there was a landowner or a um a big shot and um he had three different stewards and he gave them different amounts of money. And one of the stewards just took his money that the owner gave him and just buried it in a field. Did nothing with it. The other two invested it. And they both got um investment money off of that. They made money off of it. So then when the owner came back and said, "Hey, you know, how how did you do with the money I gave you? How did you handle, you know, my finances?" You know, the 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 last two did great. Because they were wise with the money, but the first one that the first steward, he was horrible with it. He didn't understand the value of money. He didn't understand how to handle it. So therefore he wasn't given anything after that. If anything, his share was taken away and given to those that were practicing um wisdom in their finances. See, as long as you are practicing wisdom in your finances and you're putting God first, then you're not going to be like that first steward and just bury it or do something stupid with your money. Money is not the problem. Love of money is the problem and also falsely accusing God of cursing you is a problem. Cuz curses don't come from God. That that's not God's way. That's not in his covenant. It's the devil that likes to convince us that God is bad. You know, I I I tell people like don't listen to the devil. He's a liar. He literally is a liar straight out straight out of the depths of hell because that's his job. That's what he's chosen to do. So I look at it this way, why believe what someone is saying from a losing team? Why believe a loser when we have the victory in Christ Jesus? Like we know the truth, the truth has set us free. Jesus won the battle for us. We're on the winning side. So, you know, when you're a winner, you're the one that gets the trophy. So, I say don't trade in your trophy that Christ is trying to give you. Don't trade it in for some stupid lie. from any type of denomination that says you're not worthy or that poverty you know that it's a blessing when it's not or maybe take a vow of poverty i mean that that's so dumb i have never agreed with that never 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 i just thought why why willingly ruin your life why willingly just destroy your life financially Nowhere in the Bible does it say to do that.
I mean, if anything, it's kind of a slap in God's face to say, no, I don't want anything from you. I just want to live poor and complain and go beg people for money. See, to take a vow of poverty is, is such a lie. It is such a, it's such a deterrent to having a good life because when you take a vow of poverty, you're technically throwing away every blessing that God is trying to give you. And why would you turn away anything that God is trying to give you? Like he's trying to meet all your needs because that's one of God's promises is that he will meet all of your needs. Well, what's interesting is that whenever people take on vows of poverty, they're throwing they're throwing away God's goodness and him trying to meet their need and then they walk around complaining or begging for money. But you know, sometimes they pat themselves on the back and say, "Oh, I've taken a vow of poverty." Well, you know what? If you want more money, why don't you stop taking a vow of poverty and get out there and, and work? Get out and get a real job. Make more money, invest, do something. So, it's better to increase God's way than to in, than try and increase in our own human way because our ways are not God's way. That's why we need to follow God's way in everything. Because he is our provider. and it would be very much wrong to turn away the provisions that God is trying to give us. So, but I will go ahead and end the podcast there. Again, it's a great book, Increase God's Way. It's available on amazon.com. It might be available in Audible, I don't know, but it is very much an excellent book. I strongly encourage you to get it and maybe get an extra copy and give it to somebody else as well because it really opened my eyes that You know, we all have access to the goodness of God and I I learned that we should not be following a theology. We should be following Christ. And that's when I I stepped away from a not so good church and I realized I had been following a theology and I had not really been following God's holy word. Even though I believed in God, I believed in the Trinity, I you know, I read the Bible, I just wasn't looking at it correctly because I was being taught wrong. It's one of those things when you're taught right, then things start going right in your life. And I I can speak from experience on that. I mean, that could easily be one of my testimonies, one of many. Because when I start following what God wanted me to do, I don't have hardly any problems anymore. And if I do have a problem, they're minuscule compared to what they used to be. Like let me put it this way. If you think your 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 life is just gloom and doom, guess what? That's what you're going to have because that's what you're believing for. But if you're believing in the goodness of God and you're believing in something great and if you're believing in something better and you you believe in increasing in every area of your life not just financially but in every area of your life and guess what what you believe in what you speak over yourself and what you speak over your life what you say and what you think come to pass so I say believe the best and go for the best and just go for the top don't stay at the bottom Don't settle for less than God's best. It's not worth it. Always go for God's best. Until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole and that that you have had a wonderful Christmas and I pray that you have a wonderful uh and safe happy new year. So thank you so much. Bye-bye.
a small and fragile sphere Hang on every word, yet no one hears us speak So it's only left to ask Is change too great a task? From the smallest depths, waves transform 